Filibuster is supported through Patreon by listeners like you. Check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster. We also get support from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for the District of Columbia and Northern Virginia. They handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. have a new development here at AMT Studios and in the filibuster. We are our, our Patreon, which we've been bugging you guys and girls about for months now, I'm sure, uh, has, has reached a new milestone and a new goal of ours. We have hit uh, triple digits of, of pledges a month, and that means that there's going to be more filibuster content for you uh, coming up here shortly sometime in the next couple weeks most likely uh we're going to be doing at least a couple pieces of bonus content every month for for you uh because well, for, for, our, for the donors yes for the donors for for those of you who have uh pledged your financial support to filibuster we want to thank all of you and ben is going to do so by name yes so we thank gregory coke dean lumen mark cornick John Reeves, Ryan Keith, Robert Blagg, Mark Buckley, Ted Meyer, Greg Roach, Adam Batenhorst, Kenneth Evans, Kevin Renshaw, Stop, Scott Kubiak, Bill Belichick's Snap Face account, Damian Cash, Marshall, and Rob Rogachik. And we, we thank everyone who hasn't donated yet, but will in the future. But that thanks is contingent. Uh, yeah, so... We we have to start thinking of more content than than just what we normally talk about here. Um, it'll have to be premium content for our paying patrons. Um, don't expect my, it to if, be. If you want my grilling grilling advice, I could give you grilling advice. Yeah, those of you who who have uh, pledged, and the, those of you who haven't, uh, send us ideas for bonus content. Uh, we have ideas. We are going to, to save off on teasing them for now, but, but send us your, your ideas. And, um, I'm sure everything we do will come together beautifully. Um, if you want unlike, me and Adam to give you parenting advice, if you want Jason to give you parenting advice, I would rather that. have Jason. <laughs> I think that's going to have to be an episode. Uh, parenting advice from jason based I've, on his observations yes I, i've learned a lot from observing uh my friends who have children uh and I, a lot of it's going to be what not to do <laughs> uh, outside I, during a derecho uh that's a don't uh but not for parenting reasons uh that's more of a uh your spouse will be livid with you because you are an idiot thing um that's more marriage also, advice. also you might die uh, I was fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> and generations ago, people rode around in cars without uh, safety equipment, like seatbelts. Uh, some of them survived. Adam, Adam, I think I have put in more empirical research on this subject than you. <laughs> um, I want you to respect that. I've been put in my place. <laughs> Not for the first time. He says with a picture of a goat on his Twitter profile. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. I remain full of shame. I'm joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. 
We're all from blackandredunited.com where we write about soccer and we have good soccer to talk about this week because DC United won one to nothing against the Columbus crew on Saturday. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some DC United news and kind of preview their truly seemingly endless road trip uh, that, that starts in a couple of weeks in Philadelphia. We're going to talk about that in the second segment before we do anything though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm, I've, I brought back something from last year. I was in Trader Joe's, so I got myself some jalapeno limeade. Uh, and to that, I have added ice and a healthy dose of mezcal. So uh, that's what I've got going on. It's sweet. It's spicy. Uh, it's smoky. Um, if you can get a hold of the three ingredients uh, or four, if you if you can't get a hold of ice, if that's what's stopping you, I don't know what's gone wrong for you. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an all around. It's a good drink. It's maybe more summery than uh, we've got going on right now, but whatever. It's still good. I'm also drinking a summer drink. It's a, a whiskey. Ricky, I'm drinking filibuster bourbon because I'm nothing if not on the nose. Um, and the rest of a Ricky is pretty self-explanatory. I got lime. I got club soda. It's a good drink. I love it, even when it's not quite warm enough out. It was warm enough on Saturday for it. It was more than warm enough on Saturday. But uh, I'm drinking it now when it's much colder and windier. And I'm okay with that. Ben, what are you drinking? Oh, my wife ran a... Uh, 10k this past Saturday, uh, and then we went to brunch afterwards, as one always does after a long race. And we had good drinks there, and then we decided to replicate them here. So I'm drinking a uh, French 75, which is brandy, uh, a little bit of brandy, and then champagne and lemon juice on top of that. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, it is really good. What kind of champagne is it? Cooks? No. <laughs> also, but also, Cooks was better than other options that I had. Like the lowest level option I had that my wife forbade me from having was Andre. She was like, "Do not come back into my house with Andre." So I, I thought we established that even Andre was better than Cooks. Uh, no, Cooks I, was like I, the worst of the worst. I, I drank I, it on on this show, and I it know, was but feeling I, just. Unpleasant. I mean, at least price wise, Cooks is like way more expensive than Andre. Is it? When I yeah. went, the, the Cooks one, is the like fifteen I, bucks. The reason I bought Cooks the one time I went is that Cooks. it was cheaper than Andre by a dollar. Buying Cooks at uh, Food Lion. I don't know what's going on down in Virginia. In Maryland, Cooks is 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 priced appropriately in that it is cheaper than the other champagnes. But no, I, I we actually got a uh, barefoot prosecco. Okay. For our uh, for our uh, for our uh, brandy drinks, so it it went well with it. Nice. As far as cheap bubbly goes, prosecco is usually the the safest bet in my experience. Yeah, we, we wanted something a little drier than prosecco, but prosecco yeah. in this case was the best option for our wallets. Yeah, that that's completely fair. Um, Really good dry, or even moderately good dry champagne, though, is is my preference as well. Um, that's important for me to get out there, I think. I don't know why. Compilations. Let's talk Let's talk soccer. How you guys feeling? It's been how many days since yeah. DC United uh, last won a game, and, and they, they won three, a game. It, it, it three was days. 203 days between wins. Um, that's so. bad. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a lot more than you would like. Um, even when you factor in an off season, um, you know, you go the last month of last season and then most of this season um, up until now. So, yeah, uh, relief, I think, more than anything else would characterize not just my opinion, but um, walking out of the stadium, uh, looking at a lot of other fans walking out of the stadium, I think relief, not just for the win, but the nature of this game, um, relief is the by far the dominant emotion that I saw. Not so much jubilation, just people like, oh, finally. Yeah, it was definitely a case of United escaping with a win. Um, for anyone who who needs uh, their memory jogged, Elissi Segura scores in the first minute, the third fastest goal in um, any game in United club history. Uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to break down that goal. Uh, and then DC United almost scored again in the, the third minute. They almost then, scored a lot. I, I, I take it. Really I take it. I take umbrage. I take umbrage with the fact that they weren't the better team until the red card, but we can get into that in a little bit. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the red card happened. Paul Ariola gets sent off after a video review. Uh, early in the second half and DC United uh, digs in and, and guts out uh, the win. They managed to keep Columbus off the board. Steve Clark had a couple of really big, awesome saves to, to keep it that way. And United escapes with three points. Um, relief, I think is the, the appropriate word though. Jubilation is, was and and surprise is how I was feeling early in the game. DC United came out, uh, and and scored a goal right away, and it was it was a good goal at that. The passing, Ben Nick DeLeon to Lucho Acosta to or to yeah to Lucho Acosta back heel to Paul Ariola who sets up sets up Segura for the first time shot and uh, good finish. Segura did something in the final third. There was a lot to like about that goal. There was a like a lot to like about that goal, and it came from uh, Ben Olsen's decision decision to have his team press high and press hard uh, in the beginning of the game. And it continued after this goal, but it was on explicit display during this goal. Uh, there was a, uh, a turnover in midfield that led to a number of good passes, and uh, Ulysses Segura had a great shot for a goal. And it wasn't just that goal that was great about their press in the first 30 to 45 minutes. There were a number of other chances that the pass was maybe a yard off, but they could have had another chance at goal. So I really think for most of the first half, they had the upper hand and could have had another one or two goals if things had gone a little better. And that goal was great. And the result turned out as it should have. Yeah. I, I, the next talking point I was going to bring up was the press. Um, it, it was really good. United pressed very hard and very well in that first minute to set up the goal. Uh, I, I was a little disappointed that the highlights package didn't show the press because they, they pressed hard from the opening kickoff. Columbus kicked it off took the ball into their own half and United just kept forcing them back and forcing them back and eventually forced a turnover and then cycled the ball around. It looked really intentional, which is not something you can always say about DC United the last couple of years. Uh, Jason, what did you, what did you see in that first half? Um, well, I think the goal was the best piece of soccer they've put together all season. Um, 
not just from, not just the press being uh not to, it wasn't just high energy it was intelligent they knew where they wanted to be the players were always a step ahead of columbus when it came to um picking where uh they were going to really press the ball it's not just you know one person goes to the person on the ball and they move it along you you end up working them into a situation where two or three players are all of a sudden on top of the player as he's receiving the ball that's how you get your turnovers um so that part was good but then once they actually got on the ball um the passing sequence, uh, the movement from everyone involved, mm-hmm. the finish from Segura. It was all, um, it, w- it was really a glimpse at what this group is capable of when they're at their best. Um, I was glad, I was worried, honestly, coming into the game that this was going to be uh, too much pressure, um, mental pressure, not pressure on the ball, um, for, for a team that's so unfamiliar and is, has not had that good of a season up to this point. Uh, but they really responded. Um, they responded really well to the fact that they had to go out and get themselves on the front foot. Um, I thought throughout the first half, they were the, I, I thought they were clearly the better team. Um, yeah. Columbus was not getting the game that they wanted to play. Um, really until the, Higuain? Was he what? mentioned at all? Higuain? Well, I don't, I don't know if he was mentioned because I was at the stadium, but uh, he was not really a factor. Um United it was not did a mention really... on my TV broadcast. No, for, United... for the 82 minutes, I think he had something like four touches in zone 14. Um, and if you don't know zone 14, it's the area basically at the top of the the attacking 18 yard box. He got like four touches over 82 minutes or 72 minutes in that spot, and only two of those I think were forward passes. The rest were were lateral or or backwards. Um, United did a really good job of of crowding his space and not letting him get on the ball in dangerous spots. Yeah, but that that was only that was only part of what was uh, right. on my mind here is that um I think they just in general um they found themselves thinking faster than Columbus, which is generally a challenge for most teams. Columbus is one of the smartest teams in the league. Um and I think they showed not just urgency but intelligence and I I feel like the knock on United in the last couple seasons has not been it occasionally you'll see someone who's mad they say that DC didn't work hard enough but that's not really the case they always work hard but it's whether they're actually doing so in an intelligent manner and in this game I think they really did um I I would have loved to see this game play out for 90 minutes because the way United was playing I felt like there was another goal in it for them um I thought they were really you know Columbus came back into the game for the last 20 minutes of the first half but I thought they just sort of got themselves back level rather than took charge. Um, I think United, if the game had played out, I would have, I would have been surprised if it didn't end with, you know, two, nothing or two, one at worst. Um, but, you know, when you think about, um, you know, a game, the full game as a whole package, it really does have to be split into two pieces. And I think they dealt with both of those very different sets of circumstances really well, because you know, the red card, they could have, that could have been the kind of thing. It's been a rough season. There's a lot of pressure on them. That could have been the thing where they were like, well, I guess it's just not our day. Um, and, and they have they, done, and they have crumbled like that in recent memory. Right. And, and they, they ended up settling in and, and getting things right. They were straight away um, into the four, four, one. And, and once Columbus made the sub to bring on Adam John, uh, I think it was, 
five minutes between John coming into the game, or maybe it was 10 minutes between John coming in and Kofi Opare coming in. And normally you don't see that move to the back five um, until very late in games, but it was kind of clear that this was going to be a game where a lot of crosses were about to fly in and it was about defending the box and winning the fight more than anything else. And uh, they really came through on that end. Um, So while it's definitely a game they had to sort of survive. Um, I also think that this is kind of, it's kind of the game that they can uh, use to build on for the future in terms of the group mentality. I think this is going to do a lot for them uh, as a, as a, as a team, it's going to bring them together. I think um, a lot of these younger players or newer players are going to have benefited a lot from it. I think Chris Durkin probably um, these were undoubtedly the hardest 45 minutes of his career as a professional so far. And the fact that it com- we come through at the end and he was on the field for 45 minutes of a shutout while down a man against a very good attacking team, that's going to be huge for him going forward. But I think it's huge for the whole group. I think everyone that took part in this game is going to feel better about themselves. And I think even the guys that didn't play, it should boost the mood around the team. It should be something they can build on rather than a one-off. So I, I, I want to talk more about the the post red card uh, since you brought it up, Jason United down a man dug in um, after the game, Ben Olsen w- was act- asked about his tactics and, and I think reasonably so because his tactics were um, not necessarily the, the obvious or, or most common approach, uh, especially with the timing, as you mentioned, Jason. Um, and he deflected. He, he said, listen, tactic tactics don't mean anything. Uh, unless the players put it all out there and and come through, and they did, and they get all the credit, and that that was good of the coach to say. But I, I do want to talk about his tactics as well. The team obviously did dig in, and and they, you know, to use another cliche, they they left it all on the field. But that switch to a, I, I've seen it called a a five three one, a five four zero. I I think five three one zero is the the the, yeah. the most I mean, specific for, for me, way I can put it for for me it was a uh, five four zero with a diamond um, right which I think five three one zero yeah. gets at as well um and and that continued to deprive Pippa Iguain of any space in the middle forced in the crosses uh because by crowding that that central area and especially zone fourteen and then. You know, you have Kofi Opari, Frederick Briant, and Steve Birnbaum in there to just eat those crosses all day. And that's exactly what they did. There were a couple of times I, I mentioned a couple of uh, uh, saves that that Steve Clark had to pull out, and he came up big. One of them was a, a free header from Jesse Zardes at the back post, but it was a header where he wasn't really able to move into it because the only space was over his head. So he was almost, he wasn't falling backwards, but he wasn't able to attack the header either. Um, and I think that's down to the, the players and the, the defensive shape that they were able to get in. And I, 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 I think, go ahead. Can I shower some praise on our center backs. Yes. Shower away. I think they had their best game of the year so far. And it's because they were able to channel in some uh, uh, previous DC United center back uh, juju and let crosses come in. And, and it's not just the center backs. It's also the central midfield. That was a lot of part of this, but 
they let them bomb down the wings, and then Briant and Burmom just headed everything away or blocked everything. And even though on paper Columbus had a lot more shots, uh, so many of them were blocked or so many of them were off target that it didn't, it never, like, until the last, like, uh, 15, 20 minutes, it never seemed like DC United was uh, under that much pressure. It just seemed like their defense was just doing a better job of just clearing everything out. Yeah, the the stat line in this game was was kind of hilarious to look at. Um, DC United had their, their five shots, only one on target, the goal. Um, and Columbus had something like, what, 24 shots? Um, most of them off target or blocked, but they, they still took a lot more shots. They had two big chances that, again, Steve Clark denied. Um, if you look at the uh, clearance totals, it's Columbus with single digits and DC United with an obscenely large number it's, of uh, 49 to four. <laughs> 49 clearances in a game is something else. Um, not necessarily a good thing, but when, when you're playing Columbus down a man uh, and it worked, um, not, I'm not going to have too many complaints about it in the, these particular circumstances. Uh, one thing that I, I thought was interesting, the uh, expected goals chart for, for the game, DC United had a couple of, okay, not big chances. They converted one of them. Uh, at the time of the red card, they were actually slightly ahead of Columbus on expected goals. And then those two big chances that, that Steve Clark denied boosted Columbus's XG after the red card uh, to make it look much more uneven in their favor than I, I think the play on the field really was, but that's, that's expected goals. It's, you know, that's the metric that, uh, uh of our time, I guess. Um, so it was interesting to, to look at that and see how the game changed with the red card and, you know, how important Steve Clark was to this result. Well, I, I think, I, you know, Clark was on the team of the week and deservedly. So I think actually he, the, uh, United center back backs got shortchanged on that group as well. Um, but, uh, you know, Clark had a great game. Um, he certainly, uh, he did as much as he possibly could do given, given an opening with David Osted having a foot injury, um, possibly influenced by the fact that this is, this game was on turf and, and it's a college football stadiums turf. Um, this is not a high end soccer service. This is in Portland. Um, this is more like BC place or Gillette stadium after, you know, three years on there, you know, letting the Patriots destroy the turf. Um, so, you know, Clark had a really, really good game, but I also think um, as much as the center backs played and they were excellent, um, this is may if, if this means, if this game means anything um, in terms of future progress, I think it's going to be the benefit towards Briant and Burnbaum, the, the confidence as a, as a duo that they'll get out of this. Um, I think it's it's big for them, but I also think we have to talk about the the midfield as a whole did a great job of forcing mm-hmm. Columbus yeah. wide. If you not just with um, Iguain, but if you look at the passing chart from Will Trapp and Artur, who are usually really good at um, switching the point of attack into space and um, playing longer passes that open the field up, um, you see a lot of passes from the center out to the wing. But what you don't see is these longer passes that stretch the field. You see a lot of, um, you know, 20, 25-yard passes out wide towards 
most likely a fullback um, and not a fullback overlapping into space, but a fullback who's just sort of receiving the ball and then having to go, you know, get moving from there. So um, I think United did a great job of adapting because, you know, if this isn't like at halftime, they didn't have 15 minutes to discuss what to do uh, once you go down a man. Um, so they did a great job adapting on the fly and just keeping it. I mean, it, I believe Trap has one key pass into the area, and, and that was the only pass into the box that either of those two connected the entire game. Um, and I think, you know, you have to give a lot of respect to uh, what Junior Moreno and Chris Durkin did. I thought this was by far Moreno's best performance for the team. Um, not just the, on the uh, the defensive side, but also the passing side. Um, I thought he was really good. So. Um, very pleased to see. I think this is the player that United expected to get um, when they went and, and got him. It just took some time for him to come around like that. He actually ended up leading the team in key passes um, on the night with two because uh, <laughs> they just didn't they didn't have many. Um, but uh, yeah, United as a whole, the, the switch to that um, that five four zero helped uh, congest that area even more. Um, you know, whether it was at first it was Segura as the furthest forward player and then Yamil Assad became that guy. Um, throughout all of that, they just made it very difficult for Columbus's central midfield to do what they wanted to do. And ultimately, it's funny because the crew are, they have a reputation for ending up putting in a lot of crosses and stretching you out from sideline to sideline. But in this case, they weren't the kind of crosses. Columbus likes to play driven crosses in behind. They like to get on the run and whip the ball in behind the defense. They um, want to create tap-ins for, yeah, for Jesse's much harder, It's much harder to defend when these balls are coming in um, behind the defense. And in this case, it was a lot more um, crossing from deep, crossing while someone's not on the run. Um, and and the, the kind of crosses that are easy to defend because you see them coming. You know uh, what's going to happen. You know how much time you've got. Um, they didn't force... United didn't force too many deep crosses, but a lot of them were predictable crosses where you knew when the ball was going to the person that was going to hit the cross that it's like, okay, this is going to be a cross. Um, and there were very few of them that are angled in behind. There's a lot of stuff where it's like 25, 30 yards out and it's sort of lofted towards the penalty spot. Um, and so United did a really good job of, they, they didn't win outright that many headers, but what they did is they made sure no one else was winning any headers. And then they got to the loose ball and got it clear. Um, and it was sort of like a, rinse wash repeat uh kind of thing um where they just Wait, kept... is that the right order it doesn't matter um <laughs> the, point, the point is it was repetitive um and so i think given you know uh, you have to r- really you know olsen's right to give a lot of credit to the players on the field because they had to do this on the fly they had to completely alter what had been going on they had to shift gears which this team has really struggled with having to shift from one approach to the other and in this case, it was a sudden thing. It was bad news that made them shift. Um, and they still managed to handle it really, really well. So um, from a mentality side, uh, from a you know, soccer IQ side, I thought we saw a lot more from the group than we have uh, this season. So even though it was a game where they almost, you know, it feels like they were defending forever, um, they still went about it the right way. Um, and you know, to Ben's point, um, in the stadium, it definitely felt like they were under pressure, but it didn't feel like the goal was coming anytime now. Um, 
there wasn't that inevitability feeling of it um, where it was like, well, Columbus is going to score in the next five minutes and you can, and you know, even the fans in the stands, there weren't, there wasn't that, you know, sort of depression that comes in when you're a bad team and you know that something bad's coming around the corner. Um, that didn't happen. So uh, you, you could kind of feel it in the building that United had some belief that they could see their way through this and uh, they did it. And I, I think uh, in its own way, it's not the sexiest thing in the world, but in the, in its own way, it was a really impressive performance. What else do you guys want to talk about from this game? Should we, should we talk about the red card? I guess we should. Um, okay. They, can I, can they, I talk about something else before the red card? Sure. I just wanted to talk about uh, uh, two other players in central midfield. I wanted to briefly talk about uh, how much I loved Chris Durkin's performance, especially in the like six or seven minutes he had before Paul Ariola was sent off. Just his passing and his energy and that one run he did bursting forward where he could have shot but tried to pass it. Uh, maybe when he gets more confidence, he s- smacks that from the top of the 18 and scores. I, I loved that. And just also, Ulysses Segura, just besides the goal, he had such a great game. Uh, he was harrying any and all people. He was connecting well, and I just didn't want to pass by without specifically picking out him for his play beyond the goal. He might be one of those players that the fewer touches he has in the final third, the better. Um, if he can be in a position to make a, a first-time pass or shot in the final third, he's a lot better at that than once he takes two or three touches on the ball or, or has the ball at his feet on the run. Um, I, I just keep seeing that gif of the the puppy tripping over its feet into the pool and that, that I tweeted last week or two weeks ago, and we didn't see that from Segura uh, as much this this weekend, and that's good. Because when he's not the puppy, he's, you know, flying off the top rope into tackles and and doing good things with the ball. So I'm, I, I was really happy with Segura as well. Um, and, and Durkin, his, it's been made a, a point on Twitter a lot that uh, his first touch of the ball was a 70-yard a pass into space for Paul Areola to run into. And it was beautiful. And more of that is also good. So it was nice to see uh, good things from multiple players, not just not just one or two this week. That said, Paul Ariola did get himself sent off. Um, originally, it was a yellow card. He was probably fouled two or three times immediately beforehand, which may have influenced his decision to go in as he did it's on the dumb. foul. Um, I, I would like to say I was wrong, uh, in the heat of the moment, watching the replays, I didn't think it was a red card once it got slowed down and the adrenaline had subsided a little bit. Uh, it was a red card. Um, and, and it was probably an appropriate application of VAR as the well. The only thing, uh, Ismail Elfath got right that night. Yeah. Uh, he, God, Elfath had a terrible night. Um, but, but you're right. He got this one correct. Uh, even if I didn't think so at the time. Yeah. Um, you know, in the stadium, I had a good view of, uh, of the tackle. And as soon as he left his feet and made, made contact, I was like, Oh man, this is not great. Um, the fact that it was only yellow, I was like, well, maybe we're getting away with one because the game has been kind of loosely called altogether. Um, but you know, once you see studs making contact like that, you, I, 
Ariola obviously is just trying to reach for the ball, but you have to be in control. Um, you have to be in control yeah, of your intent feet. is not a requirement. Yeah, or a it, it just doesn't. Yeah, it is irrelevant. Um, and you know he's got his studs up. He's reaching out for the ball, and he ends up getting um, pretty much all right. ankle or Achilles. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, it. I was relieved when it was only yellow, but as soon as there was like the there's the yellow, and then nothing's happened. We haven't taken the free kick. Nothing's going on. Um, you start to get pretty nervous and as soon as it became VAR I was like all right this is going to end up with a red there's no way he's going to miss it on um the replay because even the stadium had a brief replay of it and it's like yeah that's you know this is cut and dried um i you know i i uh as much as uh it would have been nice to get away with one the fact is that in its own way it's kind of if you look at it from the right angle it's kind of a blessing because uh united had to really dig super deep to get this win. Um, and that makes it maybe a little more valuable than just winning uh, a normal game. Um, or just across the board, like this team needed a win full stop, but to get a win in this nature, um, I, I really hope it, it, it kind of sucks. They don't have a game this weekend where they don't necessarily get to carry the moment, momentum in to uh, the next game straight away. Um, but uh I think this is it's also good to see them come out of a break if we're talking about buys as I stumbled into um to come out of the bye week and actually have improved a bunch of things mm-hmm. um it wasn't just time off to collect their heads it was they were better at a lot of things they were more fluent they were smarter um so I I think whatever work was done on the training ground it actually paid off and now they've got two more weeks to prepare themselves for a trip to Philly um, which looks like a game they should be able to get something out of. So um, hopefully we're seeing a similar trend where they can build on uh, this time off and actually use it to become better rather than saying like, oh, you know, we lost our momentum, blah, blah, blah. Instead, it should be about like, okay, that was good, but it can be better and let's get better. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think the red card itself, um, I think uh, Ben – kind of said it best it was pretty much Elfath's only good uh, choice because he was he was pretty dreadful um Bill Hamid tweeted during the game that he called him the worst referee in MLS which is not it's not a thought that crossed my mind previously um I'm kind of interested to know what the player um the the reputations are amongst players for referees because Elfath used to be one of the better referees in my opinion um he's kind of tailed off a little bit uh, in the last season and a half I would say um but in this game, this was probably the worst I've seen out of him. And it, was, it wasn't even for one team or the other. He was just bad at everything. Yeah, um, I know he, he, it was he just, seemed to be a very much, I, I, I saw it said, I think in our comments, I, I apologize. I, can, I don't remember who commented this on Black and Red United, but it, he was all about the players respecting his authority and not actually doing a good job. He just wanted yeah. to be he, he in charge. Uncertain. It, yeah, it seemed like a lot of his calls were a little uncertain, a little like he needed an extra second to think them through, and then he was still getting them wrong a lot of times. He was missing calls. He was making calls that weren't fouls. Um, it mean, was there just was, sort of all, at one there point, was no got a shoulder through the head, and and I think I said in our Slack that that would be a penalty in the NHL. Like, that would be headhunting in the NHL to hit a player like that, and nothing. It was a foul, but no card, was, no no talking to. You was, know, there was it wasn't that he was too strict. It wasn't that he was too lenient. It was just right. sort of every single collision was like, who knows what he's going to do? 
right. in the um, lead up to the red card, I think exemplified that as well because Paul Ariola probably fouled one or two Columbus players and got fouled by one, two, three Columbus players during the lead up to that as the ball changed back and forth. And then when you don't call it, the melee happens and, and Ariola was the one that, that lost his head first and, and it worked out in the end, but it, it should never have come to that play. It should have been stopped before that point. And, uh, Elfath is the only one with the authority to do that. Anything else from this game? Yay win, number one on the year? No, I think we could pretty much covered the important stuff. All right. In that case, we will take a quick break, and we will be right back with a second segment. Uh, we'll, we'll see what's in that second segment. When we get back, stick around. This is Filibuster. Hey, Ben. Um... You wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Uh, some news broke last week while we were recording the show, and uh, I wanted to, to dive into our reactions a little bit. We'll get into a quick preview, well, quick-ish preview of DC United's road trip as well uh, in this segment. We're going to start, though, with the news as, as first reported by uh, Scott Soshnick of Bloomberg uh, Dr. Patrick Soon-Shong is reportedly buying uh, a, a majority stake in DC United. Um, he will be uh, among investors buying Eric Tohir's majority share. Tohir currently owns 78% of the team. He will be uh, be selling at least a large portion of that, possibly all of it, Um Apparently, Jason Levian, uh, the the minority owner of the team who runs the the day to day, he is organizing uh, a group of investors, which will probably include Soon Shang, and will also include uh, one or more investors from the the group that has uh, purchased Swansea City FC over in Wales. Um, Steve Kaplan, who owns the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, reportedly part of that group as well. Steve Goff has done reporting on this as well. Um, anyway, 
Dr. Patrick Sunshong uh, also recently purchased the LA Times and San Diego Tribune? Union Tribune. Union Tribune. Thank you. Uh, from Tronk, uh, the worst uh, named media company is, in the world. That is the only way you can say that, by the way. Yes. Tronk. You have to say it's Tronk. Uh, which is funny because I feel like that's an all caps pronunciation and there are no caps in the word trunk. Well, trunk. Lowercase. Uh, trunk. I'm not big on uh, accepting when brands tell you you have to be, you have to present their name in one way or the other um, or movies. Um, even movies I like, like the movie seven uh, actually want you to call it says seven. And um, by Jason, the way that they present the Jason, letters. Yes. What's in the box? Uh, a bad, a bad uh, presentation in terms of words and numbers. Um, it could be easy. You don't have to do it like this. Um, so yeah, Trunk can spell it lower, lowercase all they want, but uh, their name remains Trunk. They're too silly. It's too now, silly to pronounce it anything else besides Trunk. So pa- pa- back to, to Dr. Patrick Soon-Shong, who... Yes, America's uh, richest doctor. Uh, yeah, he's, he, he began his career as a, well, he was born in South Africa to, to Chinese immigrants, uh, became a doctor, became a surgeon, uh, invented a successful cancer fighting drug and started a company to monetize it and also, uh, genomic therapies for, for cancer. I think I'm, I'm saying that correctly, sold both aspects of it, uh, made $8 billion dollars. And now uh, has his life mission to cure cancer and own sports teams uh, and apparently media. Uh, his, his, his goal was well. to cure cancer by 2020. Like he is super aggressive about his goal to cure cancer. I mean, a, a goal is a dream with a deadline. So I hope he does it. Yeah, cancer sucks. Sure. Uh, I, and it, it sounds like he's got a, a little bit more liquidity than than eric toe here well, I mean, well when it comes to investing in the team i mean yes he's he's america's richest doctor and he's already like if he buys into dc united he's already in the top five of richest uh mls owners he's richer than robert Kraft. he's richer than arthur blank he is in fact uh, as rich as the two of them combined if yes. Bloomberg's billionaires index is to be believed Correct. He is behind um, the NYCFC owners. He's behind, um, oh, what's his face? Uh, Phil Anschutz. No, he's ahead of Stan. Uh, well, he's like basically equal with Stan yeah. uh, right. of the Colorado Rapids. Stan Cranky, who also owns Arsenal. Yes. Uh, but he is the kind of owner that DC United needs. Like, you're not able to get by at this point with the uh clark hunts of the of the world it's just mls is quickly changing and you need super rich owners in the sense that uh uh, premier league teams need super rich owners it's not the league is no longer in a place where you could have a uh a, a guy who's not rich enough to just outlay for the Javinkos of the world and the Bastion Schweinsteigers of the world. We're getting to a place very quickly where that's just not acceptable anymore. You have to, uh, you have to be able to compete. 
in in the in the marketplace as well as uh, in MLS. Well, and, go ahead. Whether or not it's it's one super rich owner or a group that collectively puts forward the money yeah. to be, um, because you know some of the guys we mentioned on that list of wealthy men. Um, Robert Kraft and Stan Kroenke are known for not spending anything on their right. MLS teams. Yeah. Um, so having having a super rich uh, billionaire owner doesn't necessarily guarantee success, but it it is sort of a one of the prerequisites now um, to, to have a certain amount of money available for your your the soccer side of your team. Um, it can't just be building up the stadium or anything. It's got to be put towards the product on the field. So. That's the that's the real test for whether it's it's uh, just uh, Patrick Soon-Shiong by himself or whether it's, you know, I think it's three or four other. Him and Steve Kaplan and other people. Right. Yeah, it's, whatever it's the, about whatever capitalization. Yeah, whatever the makeup is, they've got to be uh, willing to do the work. They can't just be there and that's enough. Well, and from Grant Wall's reporting, it, it sounds like that could we're going to see more capitalization. Uh, he reported explicitly that DC United will move from one designated player in, in Paul Areola to three this summer uh, and, and name names that DC United has, has been in touch with um, in, including Chicharito and including Mario Balotelli. Yeah. Balotelli party time. Two huge names on the international stage. Uh Chicharito more bigger in North America at this point probably than he he is in a lot of you know European markets but obviously a huge name in his own right but Balotelli let's talk about Balotelli I want Balotelli I'm not gonna lie I know all they've done it sounds like is pretty similar to to what they did um as far as reaching out to Wayne Rooney just you know tap his agent on the shoulder, send him an email, whatever, and, and say, well, would you be interested? And we don't know if it's gone beyond that or not. I mean, but, oh man, would I love to see him in black and red. I like Bellatelli, but I would actually prefer Chicharito. I think just the way this team plays, I think he might actually be a better fit. Uh, I mean, Bellatelli's great, but I don't know, give me Chicharito because... He's he he has more of a cachet in the greater North American uh, soccer market. Uh, I think for me the the thing that concerns me, I, I think Balotelli is the better. Assuming they're all one hundred percent at their best, I think Balotelli is the better fit for Ben Olsen's style. But at their best with Balotelli is an a gigantic question mark. Yeah. Um, and the amount of money you've got to spend to bring a player like him in you don't want gigantic question marks. DC United has done this before with Marcelo Gallardo, um, where they found themselves with a player with a really, really long injury history, and it ended up being a problem. Um, So I think for me, it's not just that Chicharito is the uh, more marketable player uh, off the field. I think there's, there's, uh, there's more going on there than Balotelli. It's also the concern over who will actually be the more guaranteed uh, success. I want as I want this to be as low risk as possible. Um, Especially, but uh, at the same time, yeah, um, yeah, you can't screw that up. It's got those signings have to be. You have to get them right, or your whole team is kind of screwed. And Frank Lampard, um, yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, I think it's more important that it's just 
if that's the level of player they're willing to talk about, it means that they're willing to spend into the seven figures to get a striker, whether it's a famous player or if it's just a, you know, the next Joseph Martinez, the next Nemanja Nikolic, all of those things are good. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure they're going to do their due diligence. Um, but, you know, we've seen this, not this group of leaders, but this club in general has had this opportunity and they've kind of come up short when it was um, the situation with Gallardo for fans that weren't around in that era. They were all about Juan Sebastian Verón. They had meetings with him in person. They went about as close as they could to signing him. And then at the last second, he said, I'm going to go play for um, Estudiantes instead. Um, and he would have been a brilliant signing. He That next year, he took them to the, I think it was a league and cup double. I think they took the um, Libertadores as well as the Argentine league. Um, and instead of saying like, well, we came really close to the big signing, they kept they went back to the well and went to the next best thing, which was Gallardo, who had a much longer injury history than Verone and it ended up backfiring. Um, and I think they do need to be a little careful and not, you know, you get your sights set on one guy, but don't necessarily go back to plan B if plan B has significant uh, question marks. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm, you know, a little cautious about is uh, it's awesome that they're talking about spending that kind of money. Um, I also think the second designated player there is it's, you know, we're not necessarily talking about it because it's not a probably not a big name striker. It's probably more of the um, Acosta uh, price point in terms of a designated player. He, by the way, Acosta is going to get the um, they'll be paying Tam to make up that open up that third spot if they want to actually have three. Um, but uh, that that third that that other designated player that has to be a big signing too, and that's probably going to be someone more like um, Paul Ariola, um, where it's a younger player who might be sold on. Um, I'm, that's my guess is that the new ownership group that I know very little about, uh, I think they'll go for one big name player, you know, name up in the, the lights and another player that's more one who ha- is good now, but also is going to get better with, with time and possibly not be here for more than two years. And he might be sold at a profit down the road. Yeah. I have no problem with, uh, either going with, uh, the Atlanta United, uh, Miguel Amiron, Ezekiel Barco route or, you know, mixing that with, uh, you know, going with a more diversified approach, getting the big name, getting the, uh, the potential future windfall and, you know, mix and matching, doing what, what you can to, to give yourself all routes to success. Uh, I I'm all about it. Um, I, I, though, though you're, you're, caveat is is also right jason we don't know anything about uh the ownership group coming in we don't know even who will be in it um it could be that that dr soon shang uh the transaction with him falls through it could be that he can't get to an agreement with toe here it, it could be mindy kaling being the majority <laughs> of dc united that would be pretty spectacular that would be uh, i i think that's a little bit more remote of a possibility but it is there could be Landon Donovan is the majority owner of DC United. I don't know. It sounds like I would he's have, going for I would have Sandy, significant though. concerns about the ability to be uh, a, a team with enough money uh, at that point to compete, let alone the mixed feelings DC United fans have about Landon Donovan. Uh, I just I want owners with more money than a guy who is, you know, not in that league of wealth. 
Also, I would just be worried about uh, my wife's reaction to Landon Donovan owning DC United because she dislikes Landon Donovan even more than I do. Like, anytime he is seen, she is just, like, talking shit about him. And it's just glorious, but also just, like, yeah, if he had any stake in DC United, I don't know if I could be a DC United fan anymore because she probably wouldn't let me. Well, I don't think that's likely to happen, so I think you're safe. Um yeah, well, Mindy well, would be a much better op- option. Who would object to that other than, I mean, I, I would love Mindy Kaling to be a billionaire. Uh, I don't think she is. Um, That's probably true as well. I hope she becomes a, a massive multi-billionaire and, and buys DC United and I mean, she treats was talking, it as a passion project. That would be awesome. She, she was recently talking on TV with Oprah about herself owning part of Swansea. So maybe just Oprah buys DC United. I mean, Yes. Yeah, exactly. Let's do that. Uh, maybe she buys the fire. I, I know some fire. No, no. For that too. She's she is Chicago man. I don't care. <laughs> we'll we'll talk fire about in that. Bridgeview. That's fair. Maybe she buys the USL team and promotes them. Uh, we'll have more discussion in future weeks. I'm sure about the ownership situation with DC United. I think it does bear mentioning. Uh, Eric Toe here. Uh, there are definitely objections you can make to to his ownership of the team, but they still exist. And and Buzzard Point is happening, and and that happened on his watch, and that is worth mentioning. And now we're going to move on and preview this eight game road trip DC United has coming up over the next, I guess, three months or so. Um, it starts in two weeks in Philadelphia wraps up on on the 4th of July in uh, Carson, California against the Galaxy. Um, There's a lot happening in these games. Eight games is a long time to go on the road, guys. Uh, I I didn't hear what you said. Like, the whole sentence dropped out. Oh. Yay, the internet. Uh, Eight games is a lot to play on the road in, in one stretch. This is going to be a long three months. Yeah, it's, it's rough, especially when you factor in, you know, half of these games are, or is it half? No, it's even more than half. It's five of the eight are Western conference opponents. Four of them are teams on the Pacific coast. Um, These are long trips. Uh, It's going to be every, every point that DC gets, I, I feel like no one should scoff at the style. It shouldn't be about style. Um, the team just needs to get through this with a chance at a playoff spot when they come out the other side, because this is going to be tough. Um, you know, you throw in, there's a game at Toronto that we have to deal with, which is not going to be great. Um, on so yeah. short rest. Oh yeah. Of course. Cool. Why wouldn't you, uh, why wouldn't you have it on short rest? Yeah. That game was supposed to happen uh, last week, but uh, DC United did TFC a solid letting them rest up for, the champions league final uh first leg which was tonight um we're recording this on tuesday night i would talk about what happened except jason hasn't watched yet and i don't want to spoil it for him um get at him on twitter because i I, I probably have watched it ben Ben, you won yeah congratulations how are you going to make the second leg uh hold up when you play by yourself uh at chivas just uh judy chop all of them in the in the in the neck okay 
it might how work. Are, this is this is Concacaf. It might work. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, how are you going to not get a red card or eleven? Concacaf. And the answer is Concacaf. That's a fair point. <laughs> So there, there's actually some winnable games in this road trip. Um, possib- one of the more winnable games is right off the bat at Philadelphia um, in two weeks. It's an afternoon game, Saturday afternoon, February 28th. Um, I, I say it's a winnable game, but games against Philly get weird. And e- even if Philly was on top of the league, that would potentially be a, a winnable game just because DC Philly games are weird. and weird things happen in them. Yeah, but uh unfortunately the last two years the the unit have kind of had DC's number. Um I looked up the the records for well all of these road trip games, but especially the Eastern Conference ones. Um United has one win in the last two years and that's out of six games uh against the Union. They've lost their last five trips to Philadelphia to play a game. Um Actually, I'll throw it out to you guys. Who do you think the last player to even score a goal in Philadelphia for United was? Fred. Adam? Leonard Pahoy. It, w- it was a little more recent than that. Jairo um, <laughs> Arrieta uh, in the ah. Open Cup game, which was a game that United... An open Cup went, game. They, they uh. went up uh, a man and then scored the goal three minutes later, and then still managed to lose. Um, Great. uh, Yeah, so it has been a really rough... DC's last win in Philly was May 10th, 2014. Um, But all that said, the Union have not been good this season. Um, They've only scored three goals in five games. Um, Their defense is extremely young, and they actually might be, um, depending on how quickly it turns around, Jack Elliott got hurt in the uh in their last game on uh this past Friday. So um they may be starting Keegan Rosenberry and three teenagers um as their back four. So um they're not in a good place right now, I would say. Uh but at the same time, you know, these historical trends indicate that Jim Curtin has 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 something on Ben Olsen. He's got something figured out. Um these, I, and, you know, is Philly also no they they go to Dallas this weekend. Uh, I believe that's right. Tim Curtin is taller than Ben Olsen. He has that on him. It's true. If height is the determining factor, uh, then United might have a problem uh, in a couple of these games because uh, I know Mike Petke is taller than Ben Olsen. I know that uh, uh, Brian Schmetzer appears to be taller. Greg Vanny is definitely taller. Friedel's taller. Siggy Schmidt is taller. So if height is the determining factor, this is not... Is ben, o- is ben Olsen the shortest MLS head coach? Uh, I think he might be taller than Jason Christ. Um, Where's Oscar Pereja? Yeah, he might be taller or, than Oscar Pereja. Or Tata Martino? Tata looks to be like 5'11", I think. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, he's so, in a normal... Yeah, but ben, Olsen, ben Olsen's a what, like 5'9", 5'10"? I, I think he was listed at 5'9". I think 5'9", roughly... He's about my height, so he's okay. about 5'9". His, his, his hair might be a little taller than mine. That might give him a, a slight edge. Oh, okay. Um, so he's like six inches taller than Adam because Adam is, even though he's not short, Adam is short in my mind. I, I'm six foot, dude. I know. <laughs> I know this. But in my you mind, you are in your short. Heart. In your heart, Adam is short. It's like the opposite of, of my, I know Adam, in my I, I mind. Know in, I know in reality, Adam is as tall as me or maybe a little taller. But in my other mind, 
He is like a short person. <laughs> I had no idea this was the case. I have so many questions. I've mentioned this on the podcast before. About, mostly I want to talk about Martin Schatzer, who, in my mind, based on his pictures on the internet, is tall, like 6'2", six, 6'3", six, tall, and he is no. he's shorter than I am. Um, and, and I hope Martin's listening to this. Um, so that he knows that. Yeah, the the well, the blog father. He's he he founded. He was on this podcast for anyone. I mean, Adam is the pod father, but yes, Martin was on this podcast low these many years ago. He was also the uh, first father, along with Rick's Dragon. Rick's Dragon was on this podcast. (laughs) That's wow. That's a deep pull. After the Philadelphia game, DC United uh, has another week off because of course. (laughs) <laughs> what they do right now is they, they play a game and then they wash their hands and wait a while. Uh, but they go to RSL, which is also potentially a winnable game because RSL are bad right now, Jason. Yeah, they've been kind of all over the place. Um, they've had and somehow they're in seventh place in the West. I... Right. They've got it. Their, their season is weird. They have no streaks. Everything is a win and then a loss or a win and then a draw. Um, They've lost by blowout um, a few times, uh, but they've also managed to beat Vancouver and the Red Bulls um, at Rio Tinto Stadium. So um, at home, they've shown some amount of strength. They've also got a 5-1 loss to LAFC at home. Um, It is really hard to get a read on this RSL team because there are games where they look awful. um, And then there are games where they look maybe not good, but, you know, competent. you don't, I mean, Vancouver is not the funnest team in the world to watch, but you don't beat them easily. Um, the Red Bulls, I think that was the one of the many Red Bulls uh, NYRB2 making an appearance in MLS because of their Champions League commitments. Um, but, you know, it's been an even series uh, between DC and RSL over the years. Um, most famously, United went with their worst team ever and got a win uh, in the Open Cup at Rio Tinto Stadium, which... I feel like DC United should walk in and be reminding the fans there of that uh, because their fans are just notorious for getting very brittle and very, they're, they're easy to get discouraged um, and off their, they're very loud when things are going well, but if things aren't going so well, they don't really uh, dig deep and give a little extra. It's more like they get nervous. Um, I would recommend to DC United actually walking out, carrying a banner that talks about the 2013 open cup. Um and and make them feel that nervousness all over again. That's that's my tactical advice for this one. Uh, a little personal history here. Uh, Ten years ago, last week, um, I, I first asked my wife, uh, who was then not even my girlfriend, on a, on a. It, it turned out to be our first date, but really, it was, hey, do you want to go watch soccer with me? And it was DC United's visit to. Uh, RSL, um, which did not go well. It was four nothing. It was an era where uh, at, at Rice Eccles Stadium it, in Salt Lake, uh, when RSL was there, DC United would always lose by four goals there and win by a ton of goals here in DC. It was a bizarre uh, era for the. Luck- luckily, your marriage has gone better. It has, and and but I will remember DC United at RSL as my first date with uh with my wife and so um 
little personal history there. Hopefully this one goes better than four nothing. Uh, DC United does not have a week off after that game and they go a week later to San Jose. So they get to go to RSL, fly back to DC for training and then go out to, to San Jose. Um, for the first of three games in a row that will be hashtag DCU after dark. This kickoff is uh, a 1030 kickoff. They follow it up a week later, uh, possibly a week later. We don't know which day it'll be a, a day. The, part of the mystery of that game is figuring out when it is. It, it sounds like it will definitely be at 10 p.m. <laughs> on either May 26th, 27th, 28th or 29th. I don't I'm think the sure twenty. I don't think the twenty seventh was ever in pos, in in a possibility. I think it was Which so, the twenty sixth, the twenty. Well, yeah, it, it's either so far or whatever it is the twenty sixth, the twenty eighth, or the twenty ninth. Yeah, I think it was originally the twenty eighth. Then they, which is Memorial Day, and then they moved it to the twenty ninth, which is well, the this Tuesday. Tuesday. And then they said, "No, nah, let's just play it on Saturday," and and so the twenty sixth is the latest on this. This is against LAFC. By the what way, about what know. about four a.m. On the twenty seventh, I, I think I think United's tactics for that one just needs to be they, they need to just camp out in the stadium for all of these days and just be ready to go. Um, no, yeah, they just need to be there and then just start playing and just be like, we thought this was when the game started the game and make begun, LAFC forfeit, um, kidnap a pro referee to to whistle. Well, no, the game. I, I don't I don't agree with that. Well, to <laughs> ask one to show up. Yes, yeah. sure. I mean, uh, what, what else does uh, 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 David Gantar have to do? I mean, probably something, but who knows? <laughs> no, <Maybe> probably not. <laughs> I mean, the trick is getting I mean, him there, getting him to the stadium. Once he's there, instincts will kick in, kick in, and he'll whistle the game into action. Um, or, 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 or maybe we could bribe uh, Corey Rockwell, uh, longtime assistant referee, to be like, this is your big chance. You're, you have the same name as one of our uh, blog members' Twitter account. Go and ref this game. If that ends up being the strongest argument, I am really not sure what to say. Corey Rockwell just needs to, to grab his glory. Anyway, uh, the third of the DCU After Dark games will be two <laughs> weeks later. Uh we're into June now uh, at Seattle, um, which also has had some weird, fun games with DC uh, over the years. Um, three DCU after dark games. Luckily, they they all are Saturday games. We don't have like a random Wednesday night, 11 p.m. kickoff, which as someone yeah. who, who doesn't get enough sleep as it is, I am thankful for. Yeah. Uh, the Seattle game is another one to be worried about. Um based on history, not, I mean, this year's Seattle team is bad. Um, they're actually the worst team in MLS right now. Um, they only just scored their first goals of the season this weekend. Um, but, but United has lost all five of the last five meetings against Seattle home or away. Um, so that's bad. Uh, you, you don't want to play a team that just keeps beating you. Um, Do they still have the, Chad Barrett? They don't still have Chad Barrett. Um, that's a good sign. That is a pot. They still have Will Bruin. The, the funny, yeah, that's, that's the not a good sign. Is that that is not a good sign. Mr. Score on DC United, Will Bruin is playing for the Seattle Sounders. And, and by then, you know, they might 
know, they've still got a little over two weeks to um, find a way to replace Jordan Morris. So they might end up signing somebody between now and then. Um, they actually have motive and money, uh, which is a rare combination. Um, yeah, uh, of these of these DCU after dark games, I mean, DC's history against San Jose is actually pretty good. Um, their recent history, they've won three of the last five. They even beat them in 2013. Um, you might remember the last time these two teams played was the Patrick Mullins scores four goals game. Um, so that's, that's nice. But the other two, you know, at LAFC, I have no idea. There's no reputation. There's no history there. Maybe Dayan Yakovich will, uh, help DC United out with an own goal. Um, for his, Eddie for his Gavin will sub in as a goalie. Um, yeah, why not? Um, because it's against Bob Bradley. switch jerseys. Yeah. It, it'll be a big scam all over again. After these After Dark games, DC United goes uh, four days later after the Seattle game, Wednesday night game at Toronto FC, the rescheduled one, to make the room for the Reds in their, their Champions League push. Uh, I refuse to talk about this game under protest. <laughs> so wait, you're... You know what? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to break that down because we're already running long. Uh, let let's it, it's best if we just move past that game there is there is uh a a break after that for uh so, something mo- called the world cup yeah this little Never tournament little tournament they're having uh over in russia is that, for, is that like the gold cup select teams only it's like the gold cup but not less prestigious i would say okay uh a potentially winnable game at New England at the end of June, uh, Saturday night game. Uh, New England's a, a, a weird team right now. Brad Friedel, as their manager, uh, is is not playing Lee Win and also bad mouthing Lee Win a lot, <laughs> and, and it's weird yeah. and it's bad. It's it's not a constructive way to uh, run your team, no matter how you feel about a player. Um, yeah, that said, it, the Rebs are in third place. Yeah, um, and they're doing it despite uh, not only is Lee Wynn not playing, but Juan Agudelo has mostly been on the bench despite being obviously the best center forward on the team. Um, Teal Bunbury is starting over him, which we know is not not an ideal situation for anyone. It's the Bunbury. Um, but yeah, the 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 Rebs have been getting wins. Um, Part of their you know their goal difference looks good because it's plus four, but one of those games was. Montreal took an early red card and and didn't really do anything to slow the revs down and got slaughtered for nothing. Um, so yeah, the revs have been better than anyone expected. I think that's fair to say. Um, they're definitely a different team under um, Friedel. They're a little more high pressing. They're a little more um, willing to take risks that Jay Heaps didn't take. Um, but I think some of their success has just been that early season teams haven't really scouted them yet kind of deal. Um, United has had really good uh, success against the Rebs in recent years. They've only lost to them once, and it was the B-team Open Cup loss last year uh, with Sean Franklin playing center back for the last time. Um, so it's been a long – it's been – it when this game comes around, it'll be over four years between – uh, since the last time DC lost to New England in MLS play. So um, history points to it being good. Um, and the Revs, I think, you know, 
between now and then, this is a June 30th game. I think we're going to start to see teams find them out a little more and figure them out. Um, because there's really, there's not, they're not that good of a roster. Um, they're not that well coached. So I think they're going to get found out. And also the corrosive impact of having their coach just yell at one of their players publicly so often um, is probably going to come with a cost. You usually don't do that without having something bad uh, for your team. And I don't know what world Friedel is in that he thinks this is a good plan, but you know, that's, that's the revs. The final game of this road trip, it is not endless. It only seems that way is at the LA galaxy on the 4th of July. After that, DC United comes back 10 days later to open Audi field and, and properly christened buzzard point. Um, Zlatan. Yeah. Zlatan and the galaxy and also Perry kitchen uh, and, and Chris, Chris Pontius. Um, yeah, the, the Galaxy are slowly rebuilding uh, past DC teams. They've got Miguel Aguilar and Julian Boucher playing for the, um, the Galaxy 2. Um, I don't know. It's a very strange thing to see uh, so many players from a recent vintage team in MLS pop up all in a different place uh, at, at the same time. Um, but yeah, uh, Pontius has actually been starting uh, of late. I don't know that he'll be actually starting by the time this game comes around, but... Um, you know, the Galaxy have a ton of firepower going forward, so that's a you know, that's going to be a really tough game to go on the road a few days. It's I think it's only five days, four days after the Revs game, so um, that's tough. The United has not done well uh, at, I was about to say Home Depot Center, but it's StubHub Center. I'm sorry, Brands, uh, for mistaking sorry, one you for have, the other. You didn't pronounce the exclamation point. Uh, I refuse to because it's, again, it's like Tronk. StubHub! They're low cap, uh, they're non-capitalized uh, stylization. I'm not going to acknowledge it. Um, but uh, yeah, the Galaxy have looked vulnerable at times. They're another team that's kind of weird. They've had games where they look pretty vulnerable at the back and not that good going forward, but they've also been significantly better with uh, Zlatan out there able to erase their flaws uh, with his uh, ability to score goals at will, which is unfortunate for United. Although I think so far he has one wonder strike from close to midfield and then two goals assisted by Ashley Cole. No one else seems to be able to hook up with him so far. So yeah. we'll see if that's still the case come. Or, or if, I mean, with those two, those two players are both so prone to getting um, into trouble with referees historically that maybe they'll just get themselves red carded uh, and miss the game. Yeah. Yeah. That would be nice. Last, was it the last game at... Um, at LA where DC United took an early lead and then Mike McGee went ham. I think that was the last time uh, DC United that, visited. LA. No, I think there's a game between, between then and now. I think there's okay. one between them. Um, well, Mike McGee won't win this game at least. That's well, we think so. You don't know that. We think, yeah, who knows? A lot can happen between now and July. That right. is the road trip. That is, that is what is facing DC United. Um, I think one thing to be cognizant of, throughout this three-month ordeal that awaits us is that DC United will play fewer games in this stretch than I think any other team in MLS. And so even if the results are actually coming, um, they they probably won't be climbing the standings during this road trip, even if everything goes really, really well. Um, look at the PPG, not at the raw points. Yeah, I mean, and look at the process. Look, see how the team looks because by the way, that, that could uh, be more indicative of what's coming once they they get home. 
Speaking of points per game, uh, DC United has a better points per game than Toronto FC right now. Yeah, Toronto yeah. FC has been. I mean, they. That's why I wish we had played them and not gotten rescheduled. No, seeing how the team looked with two weeks to prepare, I think that was that was really important. Is this uh, Schrodinger's TFC game? Yes. I think it is. Um, I, I don't love, I, I really don't love that they're going to play TFC on, on short rest, uh, especially probably flying directly from Seattle to Toronto, hopefully flying directly from Seattle to Toronto because another flight to DC and DC to Toronto in that time is just silly. Um, but I, I think the, the extra week to prepare for this game against the crew paid dividends. I think they, they looked more cohesive. They looked better. And obviously, I don't know what would have happened if they would have come out against Toronto's. I disagree. I, I, wish the, I think they would have beaten Toronto's B team, and it would have been a good jumping off point. I'm not confident that that is the case. Okay. Uh, so I'm I'm okay with the way things worked out, even if it means, you know, I, I was never counting on a win at Toronto, even against their reserves, because Toronto is the deepest team in MLS and DC United was not uh, fully put together against uh, earlier opponents. So uh, I'm okay with this, the way this worked out, even if it's not totally ideal. Uh, anything else you guys want to touch on or? or... Definitely not. <laughs> Ben is an aggressive no. Jason, tell me you have something else just to counter that. Uh, I'm terrified because it, the, the catch game is going on right now. Still? Still, they're in double overtime, which the, every overtime means the, the result is more terrifying. I remember watching a five overtime game when I was in college a million years ago. Yeah, that uh, happened. Yeah, the playoffs are weird, man. Let Jason out of here. I don't know. We Maybe we should stay on until the... Until the game's over. Like, Adam, I'm ending like, this podcast right yeah. now. I feel like Ben is actually the one that wants out the most. <laughs> Jason just wants some support right now. Uh, ben is denying it to him. So I will thank you all for listening. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. Uh, support us financially at patreon.com slash filibuster. Uh, download, subscribe. That's the only way to get the bonus content. It's true. There's bonus content. There will be bonus content it's not there yet but it will be we promise we made a promise we're doubling down on that promise uh subscribe download rate review um do whatever you need to do uh at itunes stitcher soundcloud uh google play i don't think the internet archive allows you to write a review but if they do definitely do that there no, too. They sure do. wow good for the internet archive uh <laughs> Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet at us uh, at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at black and red U for the website. Uh, come at us with your ideas for bonus content or for anything else. The weirder, the better. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to get the word out and uh, grow our little community, which is always fun. For Jason and Ben, I'm Adam, and we'll talk at you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Go, Capsco. The figure is so complicated.